Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season three of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all walks of life about self-identity, expectations from society, and how that affects our self-worth. This week I'm interviewing a bunch of guys that are in their 40s just to have a different perspective from each of them and see what are the similarities and what are the differences. Masked man number 60 is the only child. In this episode, we hear the journey of a father-to-be reflecting on his childhood and his experiences that brought him to where he is today. I know some of you have been asking for some more practical stuff, and I'm really glad that there was a lot of practical strategies shared about this man's personal practice in self-love and personal development. So let's get into it. My background, I thought was very normal, but I come to learn that it's quite atypical. So I'm actually, I grew up across races and across cultures in a suburban town in Long Island, New York, uh, which was an incredibly diverse town, uh, diverse uh, in terms of the racial dynamic, but also socioeconomically. So I have a white Jewish mother and a black Christian father, and I grew up mm. with both cultures and, bo- and both religions. And the town that I, li- I grew up in, Freeport, New York, it was probably about 40% African-American, 30 percent Caucasian and the rest was a mixture of Hispanic and Asian. A very, very uh, cross-cultural town. And it was a, you know, there were very low income areas and high income areas all in this one little 70,000 person town. And so I grew up, you know, just seeing lots of different things. And also being outside of New York City, New York City is such a melting pot Mm -hmm. of different cultures. And, you know, I I met many immigrants from many, many different countries. Uh, in my childhood. So I grew up a single an only child and uh, had a really wonderful childhood. Uh, I was the oldest of many cousins. I had uh, mm-hmm. 10 cousins on my mom's side and I think 11 on my dad's side. I was the oldest. So, you know, I was always looked up to and people always treated me like I was special because I was the, the first grandchild. It was really mm-hmm. wonderful. And I just thought everyone had, was the same. You know, I thought everyone was the same. Everyone had opportunity. Didn't matter what color of your skin was or what your background was, uh, that you could achieve anything. And that was my belief system, um, you know, instilled in me through my my parents and my grandparents. Would say, if you put your mind to something, you can do it in this country. You know, they were all immigrants on on both sides. And they say, you can come to the United States. You can really approve approve that you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it. And I always just believe that uh, to be true. It lasts with me to this day. Then when I went, I went to an Ivy League school, I went to an elite school, right? So you have so much opportunity when you go to a college like Dartmouth College or Princeton or Harvard or something like that. You have no idea how much privilege and opportunity you do just by matriculating that first day. You put it on your resume and it means something, right? Yeah. It means that you'll always be able to get some good job somewhere in this country. Uh, just because you went there. People have that value. Then you see the people who get there and they're all very, very similar. I mean, they, they look the same. They're, they're from similar backgrounds socioeconomically and they you know, get the best opportunity. I was like, this is really messed up. This is what people complain about. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just was outside of my paradigm. I didn't get it. So I guess the better part of my adulthood has been trying to balance out, you know, what my experience was as a child. And then like this awakening that the real world has horrible inequity, right? Has you know, like huge, huge wealth disparity gaps, uh, not just, you know, inside the US, but globally. And, you know, trying to play my little part to balance some of that out has been my journey as an adult. That's so cool. And was that your personal experience going to, you know, Ivy League schools that made you really want to dig into education more and specifically focus on that industry? Well, I, like many people, 
didn't love my academic career. I didn't get it. I didn't understand mm -hmm. why school was the way the way that it was. And I really love technology. So I actually worked in technology for quite a while. Um, and I just kind of fell into education. And I always said, you know, one day I want to fix this. Like kids shouldn't wake up hating their life because they have to go to school. They should wake up happy because they're kids, you know, <laughs> they don't have to go to work yet. Um, and so I, I kind of fell into working in education at the end of 2014 when I joined a very early stage company and we grew very, very fast. And I got the opportunity to work with hundreds of teachers and school leaders. And, you know, I see people who work in schools and they had a mission in their lives. Like they woke up and they were happy to go to work, even though they weren't paid that well. And they had so many problems in school. They knew that what they did every single day matters. There was some purpose there. And that's when I reconnected, you know, the, the, the pain that I had as a child to what I could actually do about it as an adult. And I was in my thirties at this point. And ever since then, it's been very clear to me, like, this is what I, you know, I feel like it's my purpose. I feel like this is my calling. It's why I'm in this body. It's is to help uplift the education of people uh, everywhere and you know, as many people on earth as I can, because I truly believe that all the problems that we have stem from a lack of understanding uh, and a lack of information. You know, if you walk a mile in someone else's shoes, you're gonna be a lot less judgmental of that person, right? And I see so much judge judgment in our society and selfishness. I just believe that if people were appropriately educated on different factors, uh, we would eliminate probably all the injustice in our society, right? When you when you see what someone else's life is like, you're going to be a lot more empathetic, um, and that's what education is to me. It's it's learning what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I'm trying to bring everyone. It's not just the classroom stuff. It's not just the school books, um, you know, and the the advanced degrees. No, and it's not just like. I need to know what your life is like, Amanda. Like, what was it like for you growing up, right? It's going to help me become a better, you know, uh, friend for you or, you know, uh, someone who can listen to you better if I understand where you're coming from. That's education just as much as what we do formally. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting switch of a definition of education. You know, that is just more getting to know people on a more personal and intimate level rather than having standardized concepts and ideas and theories, which is what is the traditional concept of education. So was there a turning point when you were like, okay, what am I doing with all of these theories and, you know, professionals and, and whatever ideals that I was supposed to follow? Like, this doesn't work in real life. Like, did you walk around and you're like, oh my God, I'm a robot. And then realize this, was there a moment in time for you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was, I was about 24 or 25. And so I was very close with my grandfather growing up. He was like my idol. He, was, he taught me everything that I knew. And he died, unfortunately, when I turned 16. So I had a very dark period in my life, basically from age 16 to 24. What happened at 24 was my other grandfather got very mm -hmm. ill with cancer. And I hit this crossroads and I said, well, it's been a really rough go since, you know, my, my other grandfather died. How do you want to live your life? At that mm -hmm. point, I say, you're, you're, an, you're a man now, right? You're 24 and you've got to decide, take responsibility for how you're going to continue living. And that was the point when I woke up and I said, you know what, I want to be happy, like I want to find joy. And so I really hit that crossroads and I worked on myself. I read all the self-help books, you know, I, I found people to talk to and, and kind of like reestablished the, the relationship in my life and set me on a completely 
different path. And part of that awakening was looking at, you know, like I was just kind of going through the motions in my my life, my professional life. And I was like, well, I was supposed to work as a software developer. I'm supposed to buy a house. Uh, I'm supposed to get married, have kids and do, do all these things. But I was like, what do I actually want to do? Uh, it was like the first time I had like gotten off the train and, you know, like it was like hopping off a treadmill, like the treadmill's going super fast and you still feel the momentum, but you're standing still. Right. And that's what it was like. It's like, like, what do I want for myself? You know, I want to live a, a life of purpose uh, and not just be the self glorifying individual. And when you live in Southern California, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash them, but that's kind of what you see. You know, it's a lot of flash, a lot of glitz, a lot of focus on money and prestige and all these things. And you know, that's not what I'm about. And I never was. So I really put myself on a different trajectory at, at that time is around 24, 25. Wow. And that's, you know, I think that's still pretty young, you know, cause at least like when you're in your young or early twenties, you're like, who do I want to be in front of other people? Or mm-hmm. I want to be that guy, you know? So did you have any other mentors growing up um, that you were like, you know, I really want to be like this person? You know, I always had an affinity, affinity for older people. You know, mm. why? Because my, like, you know, like my grandparents, as soon as they retired, they were so happy, <laughs> right? They were just joyous. They were, you know, going to the park or reading or swimming or whatever it was. They were just so full of life. And I said, man, I want to be like that. And they said, you know, follow your heart, do what speaks to you. Don't worry about what other people think mm-hmm. because you have a lot less time than you think you do. Uh, and you can't be young again. You're not going to get the chance to go to college or be in your 20s. You know, you, you get to do these things once and you really got to make sure that you enjoy it because on the other side, when it's over, uh, you might regret it. And I think a lot, they both had a lot of regrets. Uh, my grand, my one grandfather was a transit worker in New York City for the transit system for a very long time, but that wasn't really his passion. My other grandfather was a butcher. He worked in a supermarket for, you know, 40 years. And I don't think either of them really pursued their passions as much as they wanted to. And they really instilled that in me. It's like, you know what, but if you want to do something, just go for it, try it. If you fail, you fall down. Okay. You get back up, you try something else, but at least you'll know. Right. And that, that phrase always stuck with me. Like you always want to know, like, could this really be for me? I'd rather try and fall on my face and know that it's not than live a life of just what if, right. I, I don't want to be in the prison of uh, potential, right. I want to know what I can actually do and try it. And you know what? I've fallen down a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes. Sometimes I wake in the middle of the night of like, what was I thinking? You know, <laughs> why would you sell a condo in Newport beach? That's insane. Uh, but I did. And it was a bad idea. And you know what? You, you get back up and you, and you learn, you don't do it again. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And, and so there's so much courage in that. So I have a question. I'm curious as to which decisions are you like, you know what, I'm, I'm totally fine taking a risk and whether that's, you know, like selling a condo or, you know, something that you can logically write a pro and con list. And, you know, like, I'm going to regret this if I don't do this. And usually that's, you know, a direction in life, you know, whether that's Mm -hmm. a, a new house or a job or career path, when it comes to matters of the heart though, you know, I think that is the harder um, hurdle to cross. So when you're thinking about that, like, you know, how do I love better, love myself better, love in relationships better? What has been helpful for you to kind of look into the more emotional side? Cause you know, in general, um, most men, you know, kind of have an aversion to, to being in their emotions, thinking that that's like the wrong thing to be in. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And something I've thought about, it's been really hard for me because I, like I said, I'm an only child. So mm-hmm. I'm always used to doing things for myself, right? I learned at an early age, a lot of times the fastest way of getting things done is to do it on your own, uh, but you can't provide emotional support to yourself really. Mm-hmm. So it's been, you know, it's been a real challenge for me to let people in uh, to emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have friends and don't get me wrong, but to really kind of be vulnerable and, and open up has been a challenge for, you know, pretty much all of my life. And I think one thing that's really helped me a lot is reading these, uh, I don't know if you want to call it like metaphysical books, but just books that help you understand, like you are part of something that's much greater than yourself. Mm-hmm. And the way that you're feeling, other people are feeling the exact same way. And vulnerability is a great way to connect with people. You know, and you when you share the pain that you've been through, everyone's felt that same pain at some point and it brings you close together. That's why I, you know, people might get taken back. I like, I throw out like crazy things that happen in my life all the time. You know, mm-hmm. my father had problems with drugs and alcohol. He was a schizophrenic, you know, like I saw lots of anger in my life growing up. Like, you know, I've, I've made really rash decisions mm-hmm. at kind of on a whim. Why do I do those sorts of things? A, it feels great, but B, I know that you have to. Right. I know that you've been through something like that. Maybe not to the same extent, maybe not the same circumstance, but you felt pain. We all have. We've all been in peaks and valleys. And it's the valleys that make friends. Right. Mm -hmm. If you think about the people who are closest to you, you probably went through some real crap with them. Right. Mm -hmm. There was probably some really dark times. That's when you bond. Right. Your real friends are there for you when you're at your lowest. And, you know, I just had to like I had to see it in writing. I think reading really impacts me. And when I saw it in writing, I said, okay, you know, that's that. And, you know, it takes my time. Like I, it takes me two, three years to warm up to somebody where I'm really to the point where I'm okay letting them in emotionally because I just don't trust people. You know, I grew mm-hmm. up with with that and till to this day. But now I'm happy to say you know, I do have some friends in my life who I do truly trust with my emotions. And I'm in a relationship now. I I truly trust my partner in in, with my emotions. And it's much, much better being on that side of things than trying to do everything on your own, because you just absolutely can't. Yeah. How was that transition for you in, in how you engage in new relationships now? You know, like how your relationship with your current partner is working out now and the friends that you keep now and the ones that you have to drop along the way? What was the new approach? Yeah, I would say it's just it's just patience and letting things play out. I think before mm. I was like more boom or bust. Like this is either you're either going to be like we're going to get you know to be the closest friends ever. We're going to you know be my marriage partner right away. Uh, to like okay, letting things develop more over time. There's one another thing that I learned is like we all we we all operate in frequencies like waves, right? Like mm-hmm. some days we feel like this, other days we feel like that. You can't label somebody and say, this person is this way. Like it's an Mm -hmm. intersection in time. When you see them at that time, yes, they are. But two seconds later, they might be completely different. That's how your brain works, right? It's constantly sending new signals and emotions and feelings. And these things change who you are. And so understanding that just because someone did something that I didn't particularly like doesn't mean that we can't have a great relationship. And finding a few specific character traits uh, that really matter to me and like, focusing on that like is this person really loyal do they really tell the truth are they caring about the other people in their lives not just me you know those are the kind of things that i truly look for and you know what if if you wear the wrong shoes or or whatever it's not the end of the world because i'm focused on those few key character traits yeah so 
did you used to care about like what people were wearing before? Like what was the, Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's all visual and men are very Mm. visual creatures, right? It's like, Oh, I want somebody who looks like this. I want them to act this way. I want them to wear this, all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong. You see something is is what it is, but uh, that's not going to last, right? That is an ephemeral feeling uh, that kind of like quick dopamine rush. You're like all psyched up Uh, Mm. and then it goes away and you're like, well, I don't really like what this person is saying to me. You know, uh, and I want to like what the person is saying to me more than, you know, just uh, what my eyes see. And that's, I think it just comes with, with maturity, I guess. And, you know, just over time, you get tired of it, of chasing, you know, a moving target that you never really catch. Um, and you want something more substantial in your life. And it adds so much more value. It's something I wish I had really spent. I mean, people tell you that when you're growing up and when you're mm-hmm. younger, but it's really true. Like you want people who are going to be around right through thick and thin. That's, that's, that's what you should be looking for. Not just like, you know, something uh, flashy to impress other people. That's not going to bring you lasting happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting when you're thinking of like trust and the idea of like, you don't trust a lot of people, you know, you, you really care about someone's character more so than any of the kind of external factors of them. But when you think of it as a mirror to yourself, you know, how much do you trust yourself? How much do you love yourself in giving and receiving that love and trust, right? So how have you developed a better relationship with yourself um, in order to have the love in yourself to, to then give back to others? This one's easy. Louise <laughs> Hay, okay? Louise Hay is my idol. She is one of the most amazing people who's ever lived. I wish I had the chance to, I knew about her when she was alive. And she just writes really simple, you know, um, affirmations. You know, Mm -hmm. I listen to her recordings religiously every single day. What does she say? I love myself. I approve of myself. I approve of myself. I value myself. I support myself. And you say those things and eventually you're going to start to believe every single one of them. I'm a big believer in the power of affirmations and in the law of attraction. You know, those thoughts that you're putting out there, uh, I truly believe they're interconnected with everything and everyone else in existence. And you're attracting what you want into your life all day, every single day. So, you know, Esther Hicks, uh, Louise Hay, Eckhart Tolle, Sam Harris, these sorts of people uh, have been really influential in helping me you know, take something that I kind of believed into it. I kind of believed in and making it practice. Uh, I work on these things religiously every single day without fail. You know, words make a big difference. You know, words are going to definitely take an effect on you. And I like that you're saying that you turn this into a practice because a lot of people are just like, oh, you're just going to feel it. And then that's it. And you might actually feel it one day. Like there might be something that triggers in you're like, oh my God, I feel this amazing happiness and love for myself or, or I, you know, endured something, you know, if you call it trauma or whatever, and you're like, I got there and I, you know, celebrate myself for this one moment. But then if you don't keep flexing that muscle, you lose it. And it makes me think of people with like near death experiences. And then they have this like huge burst of life and they're just like, oh my God, I love everything, a part of life. And then if they didn't continue practicing that or realize the learning of that, then they're eventually going to come back down, you know, and go back into the complacency. You always regress to familiar, right? Mm -hmm. Always, always, always going to regress to familiar. And what's familiar? It's what you experience in the first seven years of your life, right? I always tell people, if you were locked in a house and you didn't know anything for seven years and you kept hearing and seeing the same things over and over, do you think you would believe it? 
Of course you would. That's called brainwashing. That's what the military does, right? They brainwash people. You've been through the same thing as a child. All of us have. And so we're going to regress to what we experienced as a child unless we work on it continuously all the time. And one of the best things I learned is your mirror talk. Your mirror talk is the most important activity that you do every single day. When you wake up and you walk into the bathroom, you pee, you look in the mirror, what do you say? Oh, you've got to lose weight. Oh, you're balding. Oh, you need to go to the gym. No, you say, I love you. You're doing a great job. I appreciate the hard work that you're doing. That simple change of conversation will change everything else that happens in your day because you're starting from a strong foundation. You're starting from a place of emotional support and love and care that you've provided for yourself. And it's amazing what you attract as soon as you start doing that. So I'm very conscious and very mindful of anytime there's a mirror, I want to look in, smile and say something nice to myself. Right. Because if you're not doing it, then you can't expect other people to. I get compliments and I love it, but I don't think that I would as much if I weren't doing it to myself. Maybe that's egotistical or maniacal, but like if you think that you haven't tried it. Yeah. Uh, so try it. <laughs> so I love that, you know, making that commitment to yourself and saying, like, I'm going to say nice things to myself and I'm going to do all of these things. What happens when you kind of fall off the wagon in that commitment to yourself and you're like, okay, I haven't, I haven't looked in the mirror recently. I haven't done this. Like, do you, this is what I do. I you know, would beat myself up and be like, give yourself more compassion. <laughs> and then it's like, that is totally the opposite of giving myself more compassion. I shouldn't be yelling mm -hmm. at myself to do that. And just being like, hello, give yourself more time for that. And I think we, we have this like mean person in our, in our heads that kind of gives us that messaging of like, you know, you're look out for number one, blah, blah, blah. And it's like in, a, in an aggressive way, especially mm -hmm. if you are practicing the habit. So, yeah. you know, how, how have you kind of worked with that evil voice and making sure to keep compassion for yourself? Yeah. You know, it, it comes down to my YouTube history, quite honestly. <laughs> okay. I've got to go in there and I, there's a, a video that I watch religiously. Uh, it's a positive affirmations video by Louise Hay. And if I'm feeling out of sorts and I look at my YouTube history and I don't see that at the top, I know that's why, because I'm not putting in the work. So you've got to find some like fundamental piece of, for me, you've got to find some fundamental piece of material that works for you, that has the truth. It could be a tattoo. It could be, you know, a, a live strong wristband. It could be a passage in a book, a YouTube video, anything that you fundamentally agree with what it's saying. And when you're out of sorts, come back to that, right? Come back to that passage in the book and read it. For me, it's come back to that video and listen to it and repeat the, the positive affirmations. And it's gonna take you back to the point where you were in that practice, right? You're gonna be in the practice from that moment on because it's really easy to get lost in the dynamic of life and, and things spinning. But I will always come back to that video. I just listened to it this morning. Uh, I'm gonna probably listen to it again later on today. It, it works for me. And I just think you need to have that, you know, that tether into reality that works for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really hard for, if you don't believe in it or you mm -hmm. haven't felt it yet to be like, what is this mumbo jumbo? Like there's so many mm -hmm. books that I've read that I was like, mm, okay, I kind of resonate with it. And then after I have a little bit of an awakening, I'm like, oh, I need to read that book again and listen to it differently. Right. I have a recommendation for a lot of guys out there mm -hmm. um, who will listen to this. It's read a book by a coach, a sports coach who you really like. 
you know, like Rick Bettino's book, Coach K, Coach Shashevsky, you know, like when these coaches, they get philosophy, like they understand. And because you like sports, it might be easier for you to relate to that. Mm-hmm. There's real wisdom inside these coaching philosophies. Uh, and it might be a, an easy entryway into the, you know, the more like spiritual and then, you know, softer side of things, but to con- connected to something concrete like football or, or basketball is it, it's, it's, it might be a good way to start out. That's interesting because there's a lot of self-discipline in sports and performance and something that is performance-based to then, I think with exercise, we don't realize how much we actually get to turn off our brains for exercise. You know, when I think it was this, this quote, that's like stillness of the body is stability of the mind, you know, and it kind of gives you that space with rest. And we don't tend to give our minds the same amount of rest as we give our body, right? Absolutely. Yeah. This is, you know, the, the value of meditation or for me walking, you know, you've got to turn it off. Like your, your mind is not built to just operate at peak and our society has created so much stimulus mm-hmm. uh, from staring at screens all the time and being bombarded with marketing messaging that it, our brains have not evolved for the environment in which we live. And you have to take downtime. You know, I love to go for a walk. I like to see the trees. I like to see the hummingbirds just to get some fresh air because at least I'm not staring at my computer screen uh, for those 20 minutes or whatever. And it's vital, vital to give yourself the time for your brain to uh, regenerate other chemicals, right? There's a, your brain is constantly generating chemicals that create your emotions and you, it can get depleted. Uh, and you've got to allow those wells to restock essentially. And that's why taking rest is, is so break. If you can get into meditation, that's even better. Uh, but the, the concept of having downtime is extremely vital. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you have really flexed your muscles at a, a pretty young age on self-care and, you know, having a better awareness of your mind and body and spirit, which I think most men might be a bit more of a late bloomer in that sense, where it's kind of like early thirties is when they start to be like, holy shit, what am I really doing with my life? So as that journey took off for you, what were your relationships like with other men? Did they, did they end, you know, did you get new relationships? Um, Have you still had mostly relationships with older people? Like what's, uh, what's been the journey like for you? Yeah, you know what, now that I look at that time, I'd say almost all of the people who I am close friends with started around that same time. I have very few close friends from before that time, most mm-hmm. likely because I was very different person, I would imagine, you know, I like really changed. But I think of like the good friends who I had when I lived in Orange County, I'm very close to it to this day. Uh, yeah, the most of those relationships really started around that time or, or, or thereafter. And, you know, guys, it's a lot of uh, visceral stuff, right? You want guys to go out drinking with and partying and talk about sports and cars and all these kinds of kinds of stuff. But I, I think with most, most of my good friends, I don't have a lot of friends. I have more, fewer, but closer friends. We definitely have a, there's a real trust there, right? There's a, you know, I, they saw me when I broke up with my long-time girlfriend. It was an emotional wreck. They didn't care. It was fine. You know, they, they love you either way. And we, we've always had that kind of relationship. Trust is what it all boils down to, right? It's like, you want, you can find people to go party with or do whatever. Uh, but like, you know, if some really bad situation happens, you want your friends to be there. And that's kind of what you're going to look for, hopefully. Uh, mm-hmm. when you have a better understanding of your of yourself. Yeah. So I love that um, you were able to get onto a deeper level with your 
your male friends. Was there a difference with female friends in terms of what you allowed yourself to share with them and, you know, the assumptions of how they would be able to take care of you? Um, I did, to be honest with you, I didn't have too many close female friends until much later in life, until mm -hmm. I was in my, you know, into my thirties, I would say, uh, quite honestly. Um, I think emotionally I wasn't available enough for them. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, did, didn't really, did, couldn't say that there was a change because I really didn't have too many. Okay. So now that you have some female friends, I'm assuming like you've got a bunch of platonic female friends now. So how's that dynamic and like being open to having female energy, you know, um, as it's on great, you know, they love me. They like, you know, like, <laughs> they're like, you're so different, you know, mm. you're so different than other guys. Like we can actually be friends. I'm like, yeah, now I just view people as, as human beings, you know, uh, before maybe not so much, you know, it was different, different dynamic in the relationship. Now it's just like, wow, you're going to offer, I, this is how I feel about, you know, the other genders, like you're going to offer a very different perspective. Right? Yeah. We're going to experience the same thing and you're going to interpret, interpret it in a very different way than I do. It's not right. It's not better. It's just different. And I like understanding that uh, because you're seeing things that I'm not seeing based on the experience that you've had. So it's been awesome. Now I have, yeah, I have a bunch of platonic, like very close female friends who are you know, some of the closest people in my life. It makes it a lot easier when you're, especially when you're dating and looking for a partner to get that perspective on things. And it, I value it super, super much. Um, uh, it's been really wonderful now that I think about it. Yeah. Was there a different like expectation that you had before where you're like, oh, because I'm a man, like I have to be this type of support person for for women and then now when you're like oh no we can actually just all be humans together like was there a switch where you're like oh i don't i'm not expected to be this anymore what was that expectation you thought you had to yeah be? absolutely i think you go i think i just kind of went away from like having an ideal how you're supposed to act to just being myself you know, like I'm not the most emotionally aware person in the world. I'll be honest with you. You know, I can yeah. not pick up on, on, you know, subtle cues. And I've been told that many times. Uh, I don't read the nonverbal communication that well. Okay. I'm just myself, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I am who I am and I'm fine with that. And people have got to accept me for who I am because I'm not going to change and not try to be an ideal or, you know, have really too much more expectation beyond that. Um, and then you find people who are like you, or, you know, or at least the balance to, you know, the yang to your yin, right? And, and that works. Um, and in a lot of ways, my female friends and I are very similar. In other ways, we're very different. You know, there's a, a complement and a supplement uh, relationship dynamic there. And it's, it's super valuable. I mean, I talk, there's things you talk about with your female friends that you would probably not talk about with your male friends, because they're just not, they're not going to get it. What would those different uh, topics be? Uh, I never really talk to men about relationship advice. Let's put it that mm. way. <laughs> they, they don't get it. They're going to think the way that I think, which is the problem. I just, I think there's just different interests. You know, I'm like super interested in technology. I'm super interested in sports and just, you know, things like that, that I think a lot of people, my female friends are just not, not interested in, you know, a lot of my female friends, I, they, they're very creative and they have a really good eye for design. Right. Mm -hmm. I would always ask them, like, how should I decorate my house or something yeah. like that? Or, you know, like, should I wear this outfit? Should I get this haircut? Should I wear these glasses? I wouldn't really ask that for my for my male friends. It's just different tastes, right? Different mm -hmm. uh, personality traits. OK, so when you get into deeper conversations with your male friends, like, is it more around the mental health stuff or like like stuff about the self more so than relationships of external? 
It depends. I, I, I always try to, right? So I try mm -hmm. to lead people into more introspective conversations like that and get them to think a bit more about themselves. Um, I have a couple of male friends who are really into it. And I just like, we talk and we can talk for hours endlessly about, and that's all we talk about is like philosophy and, you know, whatever else pops up with my other friends. It's more like, you know, how's work, how's the family, how's, you know, working out or travel, whatever it is, you know, visceral stuff, but I'm always trying to lead them into a little more self-awareness conversations. Um, and I encourage them all the time, you know, think about yourself, like read about it, like write things down. Uh, but it's hard, you know, if you don't want to, and you don't see the value, value uh, you're not going to do it. And I don't think a lot of men are raised with that as a value. Mm -hmm. So you seem like you had a, a pretty free childhood. Uh, there wasn't any intense strains on like what you can and can't do. It was kind of like, whatever you put your will to do, you can do. Or were there any expectations of like, you know, what is it to be a man growing up? Like, was there any pressure that you received? If not, did you end up adopting those pressures and expectations from other peers? Like, what was that process like for you growing up? Yeah, it's growing up. No, I really wasn't. It was just, you know, be a good person and mm -hmm. try hard. That, that, those yeah. were the things, right? That, those were the tenets. Um, as an adult, definitely kind of more fell into like, okay, you've got to work, you've got to support your family, you've got to make money. You know, it's all about status. It's status, 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 mm -hmm. right? Uh, as a male in this country. Um, trying to get out of that. I don't think there's much value in it. I'd much rather be emotionally well aware and available. Uh, I'm a new father. I'm on the path to becoming a father actually mm -hmm. in a few months. And, you know, if we live in a very humble situation, but, uh, you know, I'm there, I spend time with my child, uh, I listen to them, I care about them, I emotionally support them, then that's the most important thing in my life. Uh, growing up in a million dollar house and driving Tesla is not going to make my child happy. Uh, but being there and listening to them and caring about them is, and that's what I want to focus on. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. So as you are becoming a new father and, and embarking on this new transition in your life, what have been the thoughts that you've been thinking about in terms of like, am I ready? This is going to happen. Like, do you have these expectations that you want to set for, you know, your future or, you know, what are those success metrics for you to be like, you know what, I feel really good about where I'm at in this new chapter of my life. You know, I, now that I, I believe because I'm, I'm older, right, I'm 40, I'm having my child now, I've had the opportunity to have career, travel a lot, meet a lot of people. I don't feel like I'm chasing much outside. Mm. Uh, I don't feel like there's a whole lot extrinsic that I'm really looking to accomplish, which is great for me. And that works. Now it's all like what's happening inside these walls. And I just want to be, I want to be available. I think there's an expression, uh, the best ability is availability, right? Um, I think if you're there and you're trying and you want to, then you're going to be a great dad. That's really all there is to it. You, you can't expect to be perfect. And there isn't like a book or like, you know, goals that you write down. I have no idea what this child is going to be like and what they're going to want and what's going to matter to them. I just want them to know that I'm there, Right supporting them on that journey. Yeah. And you're doing your best, you know, and that's all mm -hmm. you can ask for. I think it's really crazy to hear, like I've, I've interviewed so many men now and there was this like, oh, I got to do better. I have to, I have to shoot for better. I have to do this. I have to do all these things and then I can chill out. And it's like, but you are already clearly doing your best. Like you're trying as hard mm -hmm. as you can and you're not recognizing it because you're so focused on like, well, 
I still got to do blah, 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 blah. So like, you know, how did you ever struggle with that? Was it always like a still got to keep going and that whole hamster wheel? Or was it like, you know what, like I'm done? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was in this trap. I had an exact precise moment. It was in February of 2017. I was on vacation in Panama City and I was at the Hard Rock Pool in Panama and I was happy. I was like, man, this is great. Weather's warm. Having a great time. My my, my best friend's here. I'm like, I want to do a lot more of this. I'm like, what the heck am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm working a job that I don't like. I don't spend any money on anything. So I'm not, not even buying anything with the money that I make. Like, what is the point? And I said, I got to get out of the, out of, out of the trap, you know, and just see what else is out there. And if I like that, what I'm doing and I want to come back to it. Okay. But I've got to get out and take a break. Cause I had been on that path basically for, you know, 14 years or something like that, that I was working and you know, I'm glad that I did. I took two years off work. I traveled around the world, went to 30 countries. I saw a lot of different things. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go back to what I was doing before. I do different things now and I'm much happier. Maybe I won't make as much money or be prestigious on LinkedIn and all this kind of stuff. And I don't really care about that. My life is great and it's going to get better because I'm doing the things that matter to me. And if you don't like it, it's really not my problem. You know, you got to do what works for you. Yeah, I love that. I love that whole journey, you know, taking that time off and finally doing nothing. I think, especially now in 2021, like when people are out of work to still choose like, oh, well, I got to still find another way to work so that I can be free. And I was Mm -hmm. battling with this myself where I'm like, okay, I'm living in Mexico. I'm going to try and work less and do less things. But then I keep thinking of business plans like every day to be like, oh, just in case. And it's like, why can't I just clock off, you know, and, and, and like you said, take those two years off and actually give yourself that permission because otherwise you're kind of still halfway one foot in one foot out of like, Oh, I'm kind of, I can always go back. And it's like, yeah, well, you kind of are still there. You never left really. If you still exactly, you've got to compartmentalize, right. Um, You cannot be moving in two directions at the same time. You really have got to like commit and just go one way or the other and know that it might not work out and you might not be back where you were before, but at least you'll know what is down the other path. So you can't be one foot in and one foot out. Like people like, Oh, I'm going to keep my job and start my company on the side. Like, well, you're never going to get there. You know, yes, one in a million people are successful at it, but you're not committed. And what you commit to will become your reality. Uh, so mm-hmm. when you put both feet into what you really want, that's when you're going to see the results. And it's okay to, you know, if you, we all started somewhere, right? When I moved to Southern California, I was 23, I had $3,000 to my name and a 95 Honda Civic. And that guy figured it out. And I know a lot more than he does now. So I should be just fine right? Yeah. You'll be all right. You'll figure it out. I want to wrap up with a couple of questions. My first one to you is what is the scariest thing you've ever done that had the biggest payoff? Oh, asking my fiance to marry me. That's for sure. Really? <laughs> that's an easy one. Oh my God. I was terrified. We Why were you terrified? The right moment. I wanted to do it, but it was like very, very real. And we were on, we were in Niagara Falls, this huge waterfall. There's this giant platform, like hundreds of feet up is windy super windy we we're the only people up there and my heart just sank to the floor you know i was like <laughs> and i can talk you know i'll go up and have a conversation with anyone at any time a very verbal person and it was terrifying but you know that i got through it and it's been wonderful like just mm-hmm. knowing that we're going to be together and have that 
that trust and confidence in each other. It's been awesome. You know, I think it's made me a lot better in a, in a relationship and uh, it was horrifying. <laughs> really? Wouldn't you know, you know, like how long were you in a relationship with her for? A uh, uh, little over a year. I knew it wasn't, it, it was yeah. not a, it wasn't a logical thing, right? Mm, okay. Obviously it was the right choice. Everyone knew. <laughs> We knew before we started dating that eventually we would get there. Yeah. Um, we were right for each other. But, but it's an emotional thing, right? <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. control your emotions. They're in there. And they surface. And you got to deal with them. So it was pretty, pretty terrifying. That's amazing. And then another question for you is, what is the biggest learning that you had about yourself that really kind of shattered the, the floor beneath you? Yeah, when I was... 20 something. I used to think I was destined for bad things. Like I said, you know, like watching my father grow up with his challenges, drugs and alcohol and, and stuff, you know, I thought I internalized a lot of that. And I said, you know, you eventually will lose everything. You know, you'll be on this, you'll be in a very desperate place, place at some point. And, you know, through some hard work, through some other means, which we want to talk about on this podcast, I did some internal reflection and discovered, no, you are an individual. You are yourself and you are going to make your own path in this life. It's not predetermined. You're going to figure it out. And that really changed things for me because I started to believe in myself. Right. And Mm -hmm. I believe that I could accomplish what I want to be the person who I wanted to be. And it all kind of stemmed back to the, you know, that fundamental mind shift, like, no, the outcome is not set. And I'm going to set the outcome, taking ownership of that. Yeah. I love that accountability and and the power that you have in truly knowing that like you get to set what you want to do. Instead mm-hmm. of, you know, those external factors being put onto you. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question to you is, I mean, we talked about a whole bunch of fun topics today. So is there anything that jumped out at you that you'd like another man to elaborate on further in another episode on the show? Yeah, I think, well, I, uh, one thing that came up as we, were, as we were talking is like, you know, I wish that my male friends and I had more conversations about self-awareness and and understanding. So how do you communicate with your male friends, you know, and how do you get them to think about these sorts of things? Um, Because I haven't done a very good job at it. I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like people like you, when you're like, I want to share this and I want to keep having these conversations, you know, and then you just have to find other unicorns, you know, that are Mm -hmm. available and willing to share with you. And you're just like, why can't this be just a normal thing that we just talk about all the time, right? Like Mm -hmm. as if it was sports, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Absolutely. I'm really glad to hear that there is more of a desire for guys to want to talk to each other about self-awareness. And if you are someone or know someone that would love to expand on this topic of practicing this closer connection and conversation among male peers, make sure to send me a message at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram. Subscribe to the show and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.